Hello and welcome back to the Bush League Podcast. I know you guys missed us. Today we're going live from our homes. Uh, I got Joel Penfield here. Joel, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Just trying not to wake up the fiance and the dog in the other room, but I'm sure I am. Yeah, sounds good. Speaking of warm, the Cowboys are down in Orlando for the Camping World Bowl against Virginia Tech tomorrow. Uh, what are your thoughts? You got any predictions? What What are going to be the key matchups? Well, I mean, it's it's weird for me to kind of think about this game because it feels like a very anticlimactic ending to the season. You know, it, it, I don't know. There's just something about it that just feels weird because of the expectations with this season to end up in this bowl game just feels really weird. I mean, it's still a pretty good matchup. It's going to be a good game. But, you know, as a fan, I was just hoping for so much more to kind of end in this one. Kind of, you know, it kind of sucks. But at the end of the day, you know, we're 9-3, and three, which is better than most programs do every year. So, at the end of the day, this is a solid, solid season overall. But to me, I think the biggest matchup, obviously, is Oklahoma State's offense going against Virginia Tech's defense. Um, their defense is really good. Um, giving, you know, they're only allowing 13 and a half a game. Um, and, but the, when they actually played really good competition, their losses against, um, you know, who, did, who, who was it? Uh, Georgia Tech, Miami, and Clemson. They, you know, they got their defense got smoked. So the numbers are a little bit skewed. You know, when they play a good offense, like a dynamic offense like Clemson has, you know, they got burned quite a bit. So to me, I think Oklahoma State's absolutely going to put it on them. Um, I, we see this every bowl game. You know, last year we heard about this in the Alamo Bowl against Colorado. Colorado had a fantastic defense in the Pac-12, another league where there's a lot of high-powered offenses, and Oklahoma State absolutely whooped them 38-8. So I think we'll see something similar this time because for whatever reason, Gundy throws everything but the kitchen sink at teams in bowl games and leaves fans wondering what happened all year. You know, where was this all year? But I think we'll see something like that here. James Washington's last game, Mason Rudolph's last game, Marcel Aitman's last game, they're going to go off. They're going to you know end on a high note. I don't foresee anything uh, you know, a letdown here. Well, I don't know. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think about the same. I think anytime you give Yursich and Gundy and Mason Rudolph that much time to prepare for an opponent, it's just not even fair. Like you saw, you saw what they did, you know, in the Cactus Bowl. Like really, the three bowl games Rudolph is healthy is Cactus Bowl, last year Alamo Bowl, and then this year. Because in that Sugar Bowl, we all knew that he, you know, was not healthy. And so it was. Even then, he still played decent against a pretty good Ole Miss defense. Right, and now with this his, much time, his receivers just did him no favors in that game. Yeah, and this this much time to prepare, I think that the offense scores a lot. I mean, I and and I think Virginia Tech, with their best offensive weapon being out, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle or our defense handles their dual threat quarterback because in the past we really don't handle those very well at all. And so it'll be interesting to see if we can get them off the field on third downs when we're dropping, you know eight in coverage and then the dude has nobody spying him and then he runs for 10 yards for a first down so it'll be interesting to see how many of those we have but I I mean when I saw the matchup I just I've watched Virginia Tech you know those three games so I guess I watched him win one against West Virginia but in those three games the other times I watched them and they just looked so unimpressive that you know this bowl game was like oh really because you hear all the they're gonna play Notre Dame and I was like okay I could get up for the Notre Dame game you know that would be exciting Exactly. That's that would be a program defining win for Oklahoma State. Even though Notre Dame still, you know, they're not at the 
elite level like they were, you know, back in the you know seventies, eighties, even into the nineties a little bit, and even a few years ago. But you beat a team that's like a blue blood like Notre Dame. That's that's something that's huge for momentum going into next year. And you know, this win it's going to be kind of like the Colorado win last year. It's like okay, you know, we kind of move on. But there's nothing real, you know, program defining or special about beating Virginia Tech in this game. Yeah, I think that, and, and I think something interesting to look for in the game is to have Gundy, like, it almost seems like he always puts an emphasis on making sure the guys that are coming back are big, like, have big moments in the bowl games. And so to, to have the fans go, okay, well, you know, this this guy's coming back, he looked good, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And so, I, you know, I'd look for, you know, some of the younger receivers to go off. Maybe they're going to utilize, you know, Stoner a lot. And, you know, to I, I saw, like, on one of the things I saw is Tyron Johnson's questionable to play. It says questionable to play due to team or undisclosed events. And I was like, uh, that's probably not good. Probably, I mean, but um, that's the only time I've ever heard that was on that one thing. And it wasn't, like, a big accredited. It was, like, the Score Mobile app just had him under injuries and so I don't know if that's really anything to look into but if he I feel like if he is playing that they're going to throw him the ball a lot one to keep him happy and two to have the fans go okay we've got another guy that's waiting in the wings to me he's going to be the number one receiver next year and then you still have Jalen McCluskey Dolan Stoner and then you'll have Tylen Wallace come in you know you'll have uh, Shimon Greenwood come in next year Tyrell Alexander I mean we're still loaded at wide receiver but when you lose two 1,000-yard receivers, there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off in production, but it's not going to be so drastic that we're, there's any cause for concern on the offensive side of the ball. And even if there is a little bit of drop-off, you still have Justice Hill, you still have J.D. King. Um, that They're going to play a huge role next year, and so is Chuba Hubbard. I'm really excited to watch him play next year. He's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, and, you know, uh, working over there at, like, Triple Play Sports or whatever, you know, you hear all those guys that are at practices every day talking about how good Chuba Hubbard is and it was just like some days you know you're looking at him thinking he's the number one back and he was you know outperforming justice in a lot of areas and drills and almost looked better than him in practice but it was like okay well we can't get rid of this guy's red shirt um and then another thing for next year is Robert Allen was talking about this that Oklahoma State actually redshirted offensive linemen that could have played this year you know they redshirted some older offensive linemen that were juniors that could have played and would have played in a lot of situations. And they said that it got really close when they were down to Texas, you know, with all those offensive linemen down, pulling those guys' red shirts and putting them in. But they somehow escaped. And so I believe he said it was two guys that could have played a lot of snaps this year that got red shirted, got better a whole year under Josh Henson, a whole year with Rob Glass. And then now they're going to be red shirt juniors next year. And so he said, look for those guys to plug right into the offensive line and keep on moving. That'll be awesome because we're gonna. I mean, you're losing Aaron Cochran, losing Brad Lundblade, you're losing Zach Crabtree. Marcus Keys will be back again, and he's been a stud. Uh, I think he was All Conference this year. You'll have Larry Williams back. He got hurt early, and as unfortunate as that is, he got hurt again. But he was able to get a medical redshirt. He'll be back. Um, you'll have Arlington Hambright as a JUCO guy. He'll be. He'll come in. Um, I think he might have redshirted. Um, and then you got Tevin Jenkins, Johnny Wilson. I think Johnny Wilson will take over that center spot probably move Kevin Jenkins over to tackle, but I think the offensive line is going to be in good shape. Josh Henson was probably the best hire of the offseason last year, without a doubt. Um, and with the recruiting that's coming in as well, I can see a guy like a Bryce Bray out of Bixby. 
I can see him maybe getting some time at that uh, at that left guard spot if if need be. Um, I, I I feel like we're in good shape. Yeah, I think so too. So give me a little way 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 too early Big Twelve projection next year. You got a lot of quarterback turnover. You got a lot of you know teams losing major parts in the Big Twelve. What do you think the top four rounds out as next year? Oh, that's tough. Because I'm thinking about it. I mean, the only guys that are coming back as starting quarterbacks. I mean, you, you got Carter Stanley at KU, Charlie Brewer at Baylor, and they're not. Both those teams aren't there quite yet. I think Baylor, two years from now, is going to be back to win about eight, nine, ten games a year. I can I see that. Bulls got them going in the right direction. Um, and then you got Alex Deltner, Skylar Thompson at K State. I think uh, if you watched the Cactus Bowl last night, Alex Delton made a pretty good case to maybe be the starting quarterback going into the spring next year. Uh, Texas Tech, they're going to have a new guy come in. Uh, Texas is going to have Sam Ellinger. I, I, I don't foresee Bouchelle playing. If Ellinger is 100%, he's going to be an absolute stud in this league. Um, and then you got uh, Iowa State. Um, they're going to have some turnover there. I think it'll be Zeb Noland, I think is his name. Yep. He played pretty well in the second half against us when Kemp went out. Uh, you know, us, it's really up in the air. Oh, you, it's going to be Kyler Murray. Um, and I think – I don't think he's going to be amazing, but I still think the dude's going to ball out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's got some swagger to him. He's got a pretty good arm. He's got athletic ability. You know, another year under Lincoln Riley. I think he's going to be—he's going to be decent. See, um, I don't I see. I don't think. Be. I don't think Kyler Murray starts next year. So they have. They. I forget the guy's name, but they had the big five-star recruit come in two years or last year, and so this fall was his first year, and they redshirted him, and so he's just been practicing redshirting whatever. And Kyler Murray, to me, is the perfect backup because that guy can come in, run half the offense, maintain things. But, I mean, we saw that at A&M. The dude just can't make the throws. And, his, I mean, like his feet, like that's very that's dynamic. But if you're going to become a run-first quarterback-type team, that's going to make you, in this league, you have to make throws because, like, you're, if you get one-dimensional, you turn into Kansas State, you know, where you have to hit those big throws to – really score or you're gonna have the ball and then you know one turnover really puts you in your deathbed and we saw that with Kyler Murray at A&M is the dude knows how to turn the ball over but I and and especially like I haven't heard is he not gonna play baseball this year I mean there's no way he does right and because if he goes to play baseball that he's not gonna start he's gonna miss the entire spring camp and so I mean I'm watching him play baseball playing against him last year he needs to just stay with football because I think our scouting report on him was anything over 82, just throw it down the middle and it'll go by him. And but he was a pinch runner and he's fast. I mean, you could. I think he was like 27 for 27 stealing bases on the scouting report when we played when we played him. So, I mean, I think the dude. I don't think I, he might start at the very start of the year, but I just think that OU fans that are so used to having a Landry Jones. Uh, Sam Bradford or Baker Mayfield, those those guys, and everybody, you know, says Baker Mayfield does so much with his feet, but he really doesn't. It's his, it's his, you know, get out. It's like Aaron Rodgers. It's like my last thing I want to do is run, but if I do, I can. When when they have Kyler Murray back there, it's going to be I'm looking for any reason to run, right? And you know, we had like at OU, they had the year where Trevor Knight and everybody's like, oh, well, he's dual threat. Okay, well, you saw how that worked. You know, he's 
dual threat, I'm going to get sacked or throw an interception. Those are his two threats. But, I, and, you know, West Virginia's got Will Greer coming back. I think Will Greer's going to be a stud. I mean, I think this year I, I think this year was a pretty good learning experience for him. Obviously, he sat out that year after he got suspended to Florida, goes there. And so he was still kind of getting his legs underneath him to a certain extent, trying to just get used to, you know, playing. And then he got hurt. And that, you know, kind of killed West Virginia's season to a certain extent. I mean, you saw what happened in that bowl game. Brutal. And you know all these West Virginia fans are thinking they're a lucky star, but he's coming back. Yeah. Did you did you see the bowl game where the uh, so it was like I think it was seventeen to six, West Virginia is still in it. Utah has fourth and three from like the thirty four, and so they're like, okay, we're gonna go for it. And a Utah guy gets a false start. They back up five yards. So then they're gonna they're like, okay, now we got now we're gonna punt. So they go to punt. West Virginia guy jumps off sides on the punt. So they so they move back up to fourth and three, go for it, touchdown. It was like, oh my god, what are you doing? Oh, that hurts. Uh, but I mean, yeah. yeah so, so give me your, give me your, who, who goes one, two, three, four, Big Twelve next year? Who is it? Um, I, I still think, I mean, I think OU just has too many dudes, and I still think, I think they're probably gonna be number one. Um, oh, TCU, they, they're gonna have a new quarterback, but I still, he's a stud. He's a stud. Yeah, I think they'll finish probably two, three. I think Texas will probably be two, three, just from a standpoint of having stability at the quarterback position. That's going to make a difference, and especially with Sam Ellinger coming back for another year. I think he's dynamic enough, and he can probably learn to not put his body in harm's way. Um, if he can do that, then I think that makes a difference. I think Oklahoma State finishes four. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we get we don't know who our quarterback's going to be, but it's not due to lack of options, which is a good thing. Right. Um, I think Taylor Cornelius is a safe option. He's going to go in there, run this, run the offense, and the same basic offense, but. I think Yersich wants a guy that can run back there. And if you're going to have a guy that can run back there, then that really narrows down the options to Woodty or John Kohler or Spencer Sanders. Don't forget about Tristan Wallace, too. Tristan Wallace. I mean, he's coming off a torn ACL, but from what I've heard, he's – He's pretty darn good. And, and he was one of the better quarterbacks in Texas for you. Yeah. And so I think I think that I think it comes down to more of those guys unless they want to keep the same offense, but I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to kind of I think they're going to go back and go, "Look, we could run a dumbed down version of our offense with less arm talent and less, you know, mental skills with Cornelius or we could completely revamp this thing, use our five running backs that are good." and run a little spread option attack and I think that's what they're going to end up doing and I'm excited to see what happens I wish Sanders was coming this winter so he could be there all spring because I think the job would be his if he did Absolutely. I wa- watched a couple of his games and there he's ridiculous yep he I mean I think I think fans need to kind of calm down the expectations initially because I mean obviously he's one of the highest recruited quarterback prospects to come here in a long time yeah since we since we ran off of West Lunt yeah, yeah. Um, but I think people are like, oh, this guy's going to be the future. This guy's a stud. And it's like, yeah, 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 he's going to be good. But calm down a little bit. The dude hasn't stepped on campus yet, nor has he played a college game. Do I think he can come in and play right away and be good? Absolutely. But do I think that, you know, people, you know, have Baker Mayfield-type expectations for him right now? I think that needs to calm down just a little bit. But if you were to ask me today, I think still think he comes in and starts against Missouri State first game. 
Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It, it would be entertaining for sure. It would, you know, I, I'm always excited to watch the first game of the year, right? Because it's, you know, Missouri State. But this year, I think it's going to be really exciting because hopefully we're going to get to see two or three different quarterbacks play in that game. And I'm total. I, I don't understand what you know. Every, nobody likes a two quarterback system, but if it's a two quarterback system out of necessity, like that is different than having a two quarterback system because we don't know who's going to play. Exactly. So, like, yeah, like J.W. Walsh, that worked. And exactly. you could do that and have success. Yeah. So, think about this one. This is something that uh, Austin Higgs or Hoodie Pete, you know, who did a fantastic job for us at, uh, you know, on an article about the future of the quarterback position. He was talking about this is something that I, you know, talked a little bit about my comments of it too about the two quarterback system. You have a guy like Sanders come in, whatever. Think about this. So even though Jelani Woods, even though it's being reported, he's moving to Cowboy back, you have a guy that's going to be about 6'7", 260. You put him at quarterback in the red zone. Then you got Sione Finefei-Uyaki, Britton Abbott, and J.D. King. 18-wheeler package, touchdown, every time. Yeah, why not? I mean, like, put as much put as much weight back there as you can and just run over people. I mean, can, you, can you imagine being about 185-pound, 200-pound safety trying to tackle 6'7", 260 running at you full speed? Yeah, no, no fun. No, you'd be making business decisions to get out of the way because you're not going to try and end up on that dude's highlight video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think that's something that you could do, especially if you have Spencer Sanders at quarterback, because that dude, like, all the quarterbacks that are there now are not going to get butt hurt if you switch out a different dude and he gets the touchdowns, because that that's when those situations work. When they don't work, it's the guys like, oh, he's you know he's coming in, getting the touchdowns. I should be doing that, and then it causes a riff in the locker room. But those guys are just like, dude, who cares? Like, score, get me off the field. <laughs> and exactly. you know, they they have they don't have that experience. But I hope that you know I wouldn't mind seeing Spencer Sanders come in, us have an exciting team and go an exciting you know six and six with him playing every snap at quarterback and developing, rather than us come back and have Taylor Cornelius and go seven and five. And then all next offseason we're thinking, or eight and four, and the next offseason we're thinking, okay, Spencer Sanders probably, but he doesn't have any experience. We'll see what it looks like. I'd rather go six and six with him playing every snap than a seven and five or eight and four with him not. Exactly. That's kind of where I'm at. Even then, like I'm looking at the schedule, and I think it's favorable enough where Oklahoma State can go eight and four. I think, I was looking at it the other day, I think if they can get that win over Boise State, there's a good chance they're undefeated going into Bedlam. Mm hmm. Because we still we don't play a true road game until we go to Baylor. Yeah, and it's Baylor, and so and the, it, it's not back quite yet. It matches that up a lot. Really it matches up a lot with I think it was a 2015 season, where we had TCU, Baylor, OU at home, and they were like the last three out of the last four games of the year. Mm-hmm. And so we I think that year um, didn't really play anybody in non-conference. I think. Um, no. No, didn't play anybody. Then we got you know K KU, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Texas out of the way, and then it was like, hey, we're 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 eight no, and then we beat TCU on the one game, and then we're nine and zero, and we're leaving the stadium, and everybody's chanting nine and zero, nine and zero. was like that was the, that. that was the coolest thing ever, and then you know Baylor kind of beat the brakes off us, and then. 
Yeah, and you kind of realize, oh, okay, you know, this is disappointing, but this team, right? This team's ten and two, and you get OU out of the way early. I think our first, uh, who's our first conference or home conference game? I think it's I Texas think it's Tech. Just, Tech, okay, yeah. And they're coming in with a new quarterback situation too. So right. What's gonna happen there? That's gonna be an interesting game, I think, because we're both gonna be breaking in new quarterbacks. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Um, but I think if we can get to, you know, I mean, I think we're knocking out OU early this time. I think that will take a lot of pressure off moving into the second half of the year because I think it's like right in the middle of the season and not, you know, three games before the end. Yeah. I think that, I think that will make a difference going into this year because I think it's at like the very like the first day of November, like the end of October. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of October, next Halloween, whenever you're putting out your candy, don't just put out the Kit Kats. Don't put out Reese's. Everybody get everybody gets those. You can go to Walgreens and get like a pack of forty of them for a dollar. Go online, order Buffett's candies from buffettscandies.com. You know, don't even wait till Halloween. Get it for Valentine's Day. Make sure you know. Find out which ones your girls like. Find out which one your kids like. Get those, and then for Halloween, now you can stock up on all the Buffett's candies necessities. My dad ordered some Buffett's candies for my mom for Christmas, and at the same time, boom. They both opened presents. My mom also ordered Buffett's candies for my dad. I mean, this thing is a hit at every party. We played Dirty Santa. Buffett's candies was one of the gifts. It got traded like seven times, and then it was frozen, and everybody was upset. So everybody wants Buffett's candies. Don't be late. Don't wait too long. Valentine's Day. Get some Buffett's candies at buffettscandies.com. All right. Fantastic. We haven't had one of those in a while, so that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we kind of got away from we kind of got off track from the, the game at hand tomorrow, but let's go into it. Let's, we'll, you know, this will be the last thing. We'll wrap up, talk a little CFP, and move on. Give me your score prediction and uniform prediction for the game tomorrow. Uh, uniform prediction. So West Virginia is going like their maroonish white, maroonish helmet, white jersey, maroon pants, right? I think they already announced that. So I think that we go. Right, and so that's that's their away jersey, right? Yes. Okay, so they're going maroon pant. I think we go black, orange, black. No, I'm going to go... Uh, I, I really want to see just a nice white, white, orange look. They're wearing, white. they're wearing white. Oh, come on. Uh, then I'm gonna go black, orange, black. I think that's a, I think that's a safe call. We're, we're a home, home uni for us. And they, they usually like to do some cool stuff with black, orange, black, and they're usually tricked out for the bowl game. Yeah. Uh, score prediction. Oh, uh, I'm gonna go 45-17, Oklahoma State. Okay, that's pretty similar. I got Oklahoma State forty-five to twenty. I think one of those touchdowns will probably come pretty late in garbage time for them, so I'm not super concerned. It'll be a close game at all, really. I think our offense is just too powerful, uh, especially when you have a month to prepare for the game. But uh, for uniforms, I've seen on the T-shirts, and I don't know how much truth there is to it, but I've seen on the Camping World Bowl T-shirts, it's the full-body pistol Pete. Love that it. We saw against Tulsa. Love it. So, if that's on the shirt, I would assume that could possibly be the helmet that we're gonna wear. So I'm actually gonna go. I'm gonna go white, orange, orange. 
Okay. And I think that will look pretty good because you got the, the stripe on the helmet, but it's like orange and then black in the middle, so I don't think it'll be too much. But I think it, I think that would be a solid look. And, I mean, you could see us from a mile away on TV, so it would be it would be perfect. Yeah, I love that helmet. That, that too. I, I, I love the full body Pete. Yeah, I saw it when they did the preview when I was sitting out tailgating before the game. I was like, I, I don't know about this one. <laughs> just, but then I saw the stripe on the helmet, and I went, Okay, I, I, I can dig this. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I love that helmet. Match, it matches a tattoo I have, so, you know, that that makes me happy. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing, so I was just going to kind of brush past that. <laughs> okay, for one, one question before we get into the college football playoff. Just two-minute two question for you, two-minute answer. Better pro quarterback, better career, Mason Rudolph or Baker Mayfield? Mason Rudolph. Why do you think? What, what's your what's your reasoning? Because I think that some team is going to take a chance on Mayfield and start him right away, and he's going to fizzle out. I think Mayfield will have a decent career, but I don't think he'll ever be an absolute stud. I think some team sees Mason and sees him as a project a little bit, and not like a, in a bad way, but just you sit him behind a guy like, I hate admitting this, but I think New England's going to take him in the second round. Yeah, I could see that. I think they're going to use that second-round pick that the 49ers sent him. And I think they'll draft Mason Rudolph. He'll sit for two years behind Tom Brady. And I think I think that could be the best fit for him. Yeah, I think that's the only situation that works. But I think, I think that Baker Mayfield is going to win a lot of games in the NFL. But I think it's going to be for a completely different reason than him being a good quarterback. I think he cuz cuz Baker Mayfield everybody sees this high this exciting, you know, playmaking guy. In reality, he's a game manager that makes plays. Like the right. guy the guy doesn't turn the ball over ever. And he never he never has those throws where it was like, "Oh, that was a, you know, that was a gutsy throw." It was just like that dude's open. And so I think, you know, Baker goes Jaguars, Broncos, you know, somebody looks at him and goes, "Okay, that guy could. We could get him late after we pick up some other pieces. Maybe second, third round, and maybe even the fourth round. Because you never know how far that dude's going to dip. Because draft projections have him everywhere." I've seen, I've read a couple places uh, that NFL scouts have said if he ends up being six foot, six one at the combine when they measure him, he'll be a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, I could. That's kind of the caveat. I don't. I don't see why not. Six foot or taller, he will be a first round pick. Yeah, and, but but I think he goes some one of these desperate teams that have a defense that's getting wasted because the offense is just terrible. Yeah, I, I could see him going to Jacksonville. I think that would actually be a good fit. He could throw to D.D. Westbrook again. Yeah. You have Leonard Fournette. You've got the Saxonville defense. Yeah. You know, I think that, and I think they're, I think they're done with Blake Bortles. Yeah. And, and so I, even this year, I mean, he's been okay. He's never, he hasn't been anything special about it. So I think they kind of want to go, and especially Shad Khan being an owner, he wants to get people in the seats. Why not give it to Baker Mayfield, and he will put people in seats to go watch that game. Yeah, and so I think he would have success starting right away, going to a, going to a team that has a strong defense that all he's told is, hey, manage the game, don't turn the ball over. And he says, okay, I can do that. But I think that if you put Mason in the same situation, you tell him he has to go play right away, it's going to be a Brandon Whedon career where he's in a position where he loses confidence, 
you know, he get he's asked to do too much on a team that needs too much on offense, and he can't get it done. But I think that if Baker switch places with Mason, goes to a New England, I think he gets in trouble and he's out of the league in like three years because I just don't think that dude's just going to want to sit around. But Mason, if he goes to that New England, I saw a Chargers projection for him, go sit behind Philip Rivers. Yeah. Think about Mason Rolf in a dome. Think about yeah. the games he's played indoors in his career at Oklahoma State. That could work. Yeah. And, and so I think that I think you're right. Mason goes, sits behind somebody, and Baker goes and plays right away. But I think that uh, I think both of them are going to be successful. I, I think Mason has a higher ceiling than Baker. I, I think that's the big thing right there. And I also think that Mason has a lower floor than Baker. I think that Baker, it, it's weird to say, I think Baker's the safe pick in this between the two because I think I feel like with Baker Mayfield you know what you're going to get on the field and Mason it's is this going to translate and and so as weird as that sounds I think Baker is the safe pick but I think Mason has the potential to be a Hall of Fame quarterback and Baker's potential is really Alex Smith yeah I, I can see that I think I think that's a pretty good comparison actually um, I think Baker takes a little bit more risk than Alex Smith, but I can see that comparison of just a guy that will get the job done and not turn it over. I, I think that would be, I think that would be a good. That's a, that's a pretty good comparison there. Yeah, I like the Alex Smith comparison for him and the Case Keenum. He plays yeah, a he plays a lot like Case Keenum. Floor. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. All right. So college football playoff games. Who do you got? I hate admitting this. It gives me heartburn. I really think OU can do it. Oh, man. I hate admitting it, but I really think they can. If they can contain Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb from Georgia, I think I, Oklahoma can outscore. And that was that, Same with that was my thought for a long time on that Georgia game, was I was like, no, I just – I don't think that Georgia can score with OU. But then I thought about how bad OU's defensive backs are. And I know I know you I know everybody says, well they've been better since they switched the younger guys in there. Yeah, okay. Well, you faced Will Greerless West Virginia, TCU twice, who has no offense. Kenny Hill playing quarterback. And it's like, are have they really been better? Or have they just faced all the prolific offenses in the Big 12 before the switch? Exactly. And so the last time you saw their defense play a good offense was the Bedlam, was the Bedlam game. And I think with the Georgia, I, and I thought OU was going to win this game for a long time. I always thought, okay, OU by 20. You know, they, Baker Mayfield is just going to go off. But the more I think about it, OU is going to have to sell out to stop the run. Mm-hmm. which is going to put their corners on islands. And that's going to be the matchup of the game is can those corners cover West Re- or Georgia's receivers and Jacob Eason? Can Jacob Eason... No, it'll, be Jake, it'll be Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm, right. Can he make those throws? That's going to be the big thing. If, they, if OU is able to contain the run, and this is like hold them under 200 combined. 200 to 210... If you can keep them there between the two running backs, I think OU wins the game by a touchdown. Yeah, and so I—I I mean, I think that I think Georgia wins, and I think it looks a lot like the Oklahoma State Kansas State game with our defense, where we sold out to stop the run, 
and it would be, you know, first down, stop, second down, stop, third down, 60-yard touchdown pass. I think we yeah. see a lot of big big plays from play actions for Georgia. But if OU's, if OU's corners and defensive backs can hold their own in the man coverage, they're going to they're gonna crush them, right? Yep. But if they can't, and I'm, I'm betting that they can't, I think Georgia wins. I, oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm saying this praying and hoping that Georgia beats my third. <laughs> but from an analytics standpoint, I'm thinking, you, and even not even a analytics, like a manalytics standpoint, Baker Mayfield, when the lights are on, and they're shining the brightest. He he always shows out. Yeah. And I just and I mean you, you got that the Heisman Trophy winner. He's got that to add to him. I think he's gonna come. I think he's gonna ball out. And you know, I we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I want Georgia to win, but I think OU will win. That's my perspective on it. On the other side with Clemson, Alabama. I think Clemson's got their number. I think Clemson's going to go in, and I think Clemson's going to dominate. If Kelly Bryant can, you know, play, you know, play conservatively and not turn the ball over, I think they can do it. Yeah, I, I just don't see Alabama's offense winning them a game. Yeah, I think so too. Alabama's offense is going to have to going to have to win them the game. And I know Alabama says that they're healthy at linebacker now, but how healthy really are you? And if they're not healthy, then Clemson's going to score basically at will. If and because and, their offense is fully healthy, when everybody saw them lose to Syracuse, that offense wasn't healthy. They are now, and they're not having problems putting points on anybody. And I don't think that's going to change when Alabama goes back there because I think everybody else sees, you know, Alabama and Nick Saban and you know this this dynasty, and Clemson just sees the team they beat for the national title last year. And so I feel like that awe factor is gone from those guys, and they don't care. That's just another team. And I think that I think I think OU Georgia is definitely going to be the more watchable and better college football playoff game, and because I think Clemson rolls Alabama. Yeah, I think so too. So then, if our predictions have it, I mean, I think which would be the better game, Clemson OU or Clemson Georgia? Oh, I think Clemson OU. See, if I, I so, so like I think if OU beats Georgia, they're going to win the national title. I think so too. But if Georgia beats OU, Clemson wins the national title. But I don't think that I think OU would beat Clemson because Clemson you're not going to have to Georgia's a tough challenge and a unique challenge because they're going to have two guys they can rotate in the backfield that just destroy you defensively. Like you're not getting a break. Like those guys are getting breaks. That's just run after run after run and those guys are tough tough to bring down fast and so i feel like if they can get past that clemson they're just gonna i feel like it i feel like OU would win mm-hmm. i'm with you there yeah i, I think if OU can find a way to get past sony michelle and nick chubb who also it feels like nick chubb has been at georgia for about eight years now i don't know about you but i know he had to have had like two older brothers right before him right yeah well because he was there and the only like he started playing his true freshman year when todd Gurley got suspended yeah. And then he was a stud that year. He comes back the next year and blows out his knee. And then he's been a thousand yard rusher the last two years and you kind of forgot about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now they have this Sony Michelle guy. <laughs> they can just, Nick Chubb gets tired, taps his helmet, comes out. Sony Michelle runs for eight yards of carry and then Nick Chubb comes back in. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. If OU can contain them, man, that, it could get ugly. Yeah. It w- I, th- I think so too. I, I, but I just, 
I'm betting that they can't. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to be able to stop them for too long. Because I think, like you mentioned with the Oklahoma State-K-State game, like I think they'll get a couple stops, and then Stephen Parker's going to get burned. Yep. Or whoever is at corner. I think they're, I think Georgia's got enough studs on the outside that if Fromm can make the throw, I mean, it could, it could be a shootout. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think I I think it's gonna be a great game and a great atmosphere, beautiful stadium. Every time there's a, I mean, I just feel like every time there's a game there, it's just an instant classic. Yep. And so I'm I'm excited. I'm just hoping I don't have to listen to Brent Musburger call the game. That's my only thing. Well, you're not gonna have to do that. He's retired. Oh, that's right. Thank <laughs> yeah. You. I kind of forgot about that, but yeah. Cool. <laughs> Yep. Um, is that all we got on uh, college football, or do you want to move into some basketball now? Yeah, let's do some basketball. Talk a little craziness of the Big 12 this year. Un- <laughs> unbelievable. I think I think six wins in this league puts you on the bubble, which yep. is ridiculous. Yeah, that, that would put you at, what, six and 12? I, yeah, think, I think that puts you in the bubble. Because if you win if you win six games, that means you beat Kansas State at home. You know, or okay, you like this is I was going through this the other day. To win six games, you have to go beat that. Realistically, you have to beat K State in Manhattan and in Stillwater. You have to beat Iowa State in Ames and in Stillwater, and you have to beat Texas in Stillwater and in Austin. Everybody else is ranked. I mean, if those are going to be six games, you're going to be favored in three of those. You're not going to be favored in Manhattan, Ames, or Austin. Yeah. I mean, I think... I know, we, we get a challenge right off the bat playing West Virginia. And yeah. And play OU. Yeah, I know. Gauntlet to start, to start this conference. But, and, and so the West Virginia game Friday, I think that... And, I mean, I love Oklahoma State basketball. I think that this is a great matchup for this team because they don't play the you know like Tulsa before that game I'm driving up to Stillwater thinking you know I hope we can escape with one tonight because I'd watch Tulsa play and that's a terrible matchup because their matchup zone defense they're going to force you to run an offense get a shot and that and and this team is not built for that this team is built for you know we're going to defend if you press if you press this team I think all that does is free up easy buckets and allow player allow players to not have to think and be able to work in transition because all this team thinks about is defense this this is defense and their offense is hey we're gonna we're gonna see what happens but we're gonna create stuff off of our defense and bet that you can't score and because i mean you and you see they they run good sets they just don't have the offensive guys yep and they don't have that go-to guy quite yet exactly and so they, they run needs to be that Right, they run great sets and they get wide open shots, but they're just with not pe- people that are meant to be taking wide open threes or, you know, or something like 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 when you get and Mitchell Solomon is it, when Mitchell Solomon's not on the floor, this this team looks lost, mm-hmm. and that is incredible because of how far that he's come. But yeah. this West Virginia did, game, did you, did you watch the the Florida State game? Yeah, I was at my graduation watching it on my phone. Okay. Solid work, by the way. Yeah. Um, I have not screamed at the TV that loud watching a basketball game in a long time. 
until I saw Mitchell Solomon take that charge. <laughs> he took that charge, and I absolutely lost my mind. And, okay, this might be an overreaction. And it's going to, you know, we'll see Friday. But this program has been looking for a big-time win or a big-time moment to reinvigorate the program. And I think Mitchell Solomon taking that charge in Florida in front of 20 fans was the moment for a lot of people that said, I'm about that. I want to go to those games. I want to see that in person. And I went to that Tulsa game on Tuesday. It's Christmas break. You know, everybody's gone. It was like 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. And there were 6,000 people there. That's awesome. And I'm, See, I, I didn't get to watch any of the game just because of where I live. I'm up in the Kansas City area. But I was, you know, keeping tabs on it on my phone. And I saw some pictures and I went, there's a decent crowd there for winter break. That's that's awesome. To, to see that is awesome. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I'm going up there. I think the Thunder played that night. There's an 8 p.m. game. It was pouring down rain. And that was the storming night. And then there's no students. And then you're just like, oh, my gosh. And then, boom, there's 6,000 people in there. And I was like, okay. You know, 6,000 is still a long way from 13, 6, 11. But that's with no students. With students in there, that's 8,500. That's 8,500. Yeah, and so that excited me. And then the Rio Grande Valley game on Friday is at noon, and there's 5,000 there. And that was incredible, you know, because you're just, okay, noon game, This there's nobody's going to be there. And then they, they showed up. And I think this Friday, especially with the deal they're doing, four tickets for $20. Oh, yeah, people are going to go. I think it's going to be sold out. I don't think it's going to be – I mean, I know you've seen it, but – there's a big difference in the 13, 6, 11 when the classes are in session and when they're not. Right. But I think that I think there's going to be 13, 6, 11 there Friday. I think it's going to be nuts. I'm excited for it. Um, and I think that this West Virginia fits Oklahoma State. I think that West Virginia is going to press the whole game. Rio Grande Valley tried to do the same thing, and Oklahoma State got them out of their press in five minutes. It was like, okay, we, we can't do this. I mean, the thing is – this is what I mean. West Virginia runs a standard zone press, and they're trying to get you to throw it into the corner and trap. I mean, that's I mean, it's a pretty standard thing. It's not really difficult to beat, but it's just the speed that they have laterally is what does it, and their ability to close space. And that's what West Virginia's been good at for so long. I think if Oklahoma State can make quick passes, get the ball in the middle to the wing on the other side, I mean, you haven't broken in three passes. But what we need to do is we need to have a point guard that's patient. And I think Ken, I, I like Kendall Smith so far and what he's brought on the offensive end and his ability to create, I think, is fantastic and his ability to get to the rim. But there are times when he goes too fast and he ends up turning it over or he makes you know a bad pass, whatever the case may be. And then you have Brandon Averett, who I thought at the beginning of the year was, you know, he was taking that next step and he's regressed quite a bit, at least in my opinion. And he goes too slow. So you've got to have somebody that can take the ball and just go and not and just get that pass up there. Don't dribble and just throw it. Don't let that ball hit the ground until we're on the other side of the half court. Yeah. And, and, and the guy that I think could do that is Lindy Waters. He ran the point a little bit against Florida State and he looked good. Yeah. And, and, and it puts a serious size advantage. And another thing that to think about is – you know, it's. I feel like Vol- saying Voldemort's name, but Brad Underwood cracked this press last year. 
We saw them. We saw him play West Virginia and Stillwater the same game, right? It was like New Year's, the 29th, some, something around there. Everybody was excited, sold it out, got the brakes beat off us. Just smoked. Couldn't handle the press. The other, they looked so physical, so much bigger than us, and just stronger. It was like, oh gosh. And then you go to Morgantown and just have no problems and win. And and this team has a lot of pieces and a head coach that was on that staff that cracked that press. Like he has the formula. Like it's it's right there. And and a lot of the players that played know what to do but it's just you're missing the key press breaker with Juwan Evans, and he made the thing go. But I think I think that they don't have a problem breaking the press. I think one of the key things for Friday is the officiating. If we get loose officiating where you can do whatever you want, we're going to get smoked. But if they call it pretty close, that doesn't play into West Virginia's favor because of how physical they are on that press. Right, and that's why West Virginia get, doesn't get past the Sweet 16 every year. Because they call everything, yeah, they call everything in the NCAA tournament. And so if we get a crew, like if we get like a John Higgins crew that's going to come in and just want everybody to look at them the entire game, then I think I think we win handily. Because I, I Dave was talking about this the other day on the broadcast, but he Oklahoma State is I think top ten in the nation in free throw shooting at seventy nine percent. And so if you put us at the foul line, I think I think Oklahoma State wins the game because as weird and as much as West Virginia, you know, runs and gets fouled and does and fouls, they don't shoot free throws well. And so I, I think I think Oklahoma State, I don't know if they win on Friday, but I, I think they keep it close and I think it leaves people leaving the arena going, okay, like that's the number seven team of the country. We're not that far off. Kind of the same way people felt leaving the arena for Wichita State. It's like, okay, that's a top ten team. We're not that far off. They didn't look that much better, and exactly. and I think that the same kind of feeling. I, I won't say Oklahoma State wins, but I'll say that it's a it's a great game and one that you know a, a Gallagher Iba classic where it could go either way. And we'll say you know they they hit a couple dagger threes late or something, and they end up winning by seven. Um, which I don't know what the spread will probably be. Probably I, I assume it'll be under ten, but um, I think it'll be a five to seven point game, and I think that everybody will be upset when they leave, and then think, "Oh, I can't wait to get back here next week." Right. You know, I'm gonna be watching from my couch because I can't. I'm not gonna make the five hour drive down for that one. But uh, but man, yeah, I, I wish I could be there. I, I'm excited for what this team's gonna do, but I'm really reserving judgment on where this team is until we play a few conference games because we've seen the really good team and the really bad team this year, sometimes in the same game. We saw that against uh, Wichita State is a good example. We saw when Oklahoma State was really good and they were really bad at the same time. So I'm waiting to see where they fall until I watch a few conference games because that's really going to dictate where we go from here. If we come out and we play – and I think if we keep the game within 10, 12 points, I, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. And I think that the, we're in a good position. This year, the conference is an absolute buzzsaw. I mean, top to bottom, you have legitimately, you could have all 10 Big 12 teams get in the tournament, which is unbelievable to think about. And I really think that they could, Oklahoma they could sneak in if they get a few big wins. But I'm just, I'm waiting to see what we do against 
because I think we go. I got the schedule pulled up here. Let me see what we got. Because I know we go home against West Virginia. Then we go to Norman. Poof. And then we play Iowa State and then Kansas State. That's our first four conference games. And the the Trey Young show has have you have you watched them play yet this year? I think he's gonna drop forty on us. Oh, he's and, gonna drop forty on our head. And so and so I think that so Mike Boynton does a great job of eliminating the other team's best player. But you'll see, like if those guys are really good, like that Landry Shamet guy from Wichita State, there yeah. you, there's only so much eliminating you can do. And so, you know, we eliminated him for the first half of that game. And then he still proceeded to drop 32. Exactly. The second half, they go in and go, okay, how are we going to get Landry open? What are we going to do? So they switch him off the ball, and then you, there's just not as much you could do when a point guard starts running off the ball because of their quickness. And I think that we see that happen. I think that we end up moving Trey Young off the point and him having to run shooting guard because – I think that they would just double team him, but I see that him he probably scores like eight to ten, but I think that Brady Manic dude, that's the typical guy that kills Oklahoma State, the big that just floats around the three point line. Ryan Spangler. Yes. I think he's gonna he's gonna have like fifty and they're all gonna be threes and they're all gonna make you throw your remote. But yeah, yeah I mean okay, yeah. so who is the X factor to this team moving forward? Oh, X factor is Jeffrey Carroll because you, I mean, you know what you're going to get with Shine and Lindy. You're going to get a solid player that makes some threes, misses some threes. But Jeffrey Carroll has the opportunity and the potential to be elite, and he's just not seizing it. And so if he can seize that, this is a top five team in the Big 12. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, it's a bottom five team in the Big 12. And so I think he's the X factor. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit different here, and hear me out, but I think it's Thomas DeZogler. Really? You, Oklahoma State needs to have a guy. I mean, he has, I mean, Mike Boyton has talked about, he has, like, he has swagger on the court. Right. He has that ability to just, you know, he's going to put his head down, and he's going to play, but he's going to have fun, and he's going to, you know, He's a good player on both ends. He's not getting a lot of minutes right now because he has been inconsistent shooting. But if he can figure it out and knock down four to five shots a game and, you know, three or four threes, Oklahoma State then has a guy that they can go to for a shot. You know, they need a big three. You need a dude that's got some cojones that will just go and just put it up because I love his confidence. He, he may look ugly on some shots, but not many guys have the confidence to take that shot. Yeah. And to me, I think that's the difference with him. He's still shooting 41% from three. He hasn't been very good recently, but I think if he can get that number up to 45, 46%, he could be a guy that can make a difference. Yeah. I, I think so. My thoughts on the Zog were if he's not making shots, he can't play. Exactly. Right. So if he. Like, if he's in and you put him in and he misses two open threes or two contested threes or whatever he shoots, you got to take him out. Because he his one job when he goes in is to spark the offense, hit a three. But, uh, I just, he's too slow to play in the Big 12. I think that he, you know, that was the difference with Keaton Page and with Phil Forte, those guys that were just shooters. Those guys were quick. 
Yeah. And you know, they he's could lanky. he's pretty lanky. He's about six five. Right. Like he's he's lanky and he doesn't it, it just almost looks like he doesn't move very well. He's a little slow. They have to cover him up on defense, which takes a lot of effort and leads to Mitchell making committing dumb fouls. Um but if 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 he can come into a game and get hot and then run a zone while he's in there and stick him at like the corner of a two three or something like that, but I just don't I see I think that his playing time has gone down a little bit over and over over time. And I think that we'll kinda of see him get weaned out of the playing the the role um that he was in during Big Twelve play because I just I I just don't think that he's quick enough to get open shots to play defense in this league. Yeah, I mean it's not like I mean I'm not saying I mean I completely agree with everything you're saying and I'm not saying this from a standpoint of Oh, I think he's a lot better than people think he is. That's not true. He has been very bad the last few games. But I think he's a guy that if he can get hot, he's going to be an X-factor on this team. He's a guy that Oklahoma State could rely on to score. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and it feels good to have a guy on your team that when the ball leaves his hand, your first thought is that's going in. Exactly. And he's and the he, only guy on this team right now. He puts up some, some shots that you go, what was that? Yeah, like where are you Are you even looking at the goal? Like What's going on? I can also look at that from the point of I love that confidence. Yeah. Because there aren't a lot there are a lot of guys that would say and go, why would they do that? But you also think that means that he's putting that up knowing this shot's gonna go in. I don't know how, but it's going to. And even if it doesn't, you know you're gonna hand him the ball and he's gonna try and create a shot. And that's something is with this team that can struggle offensively, it can be a circus shot like that that goes in that sparks something for the offense. And they go on an eight ten oh run. You know, it could be just something as bizarre as that, you know, or he comes in, bam, three threes in a row. You know, gets the crowd back into it on, you know, for the defense men. We get a turnover. He can be a three point a guy that's a three point specialist can really swing momentum when he comes off the bench. And if he can do that, this that could bode well for the team moving forward. Yeah, okay. So what is how many how many wins does this team get in the Big Twelve? Uh, let's take a look. I'm pulling up the schedule, and I'll kind of go through. I I don't see more than six. Uh, let's see. So we go. Let, let's just go. I mean, no analysis, nothing, just win loss. Yep. West Virginia. Probably lose both. Yep. OU. Probably lose both. Yep. Iowa State. Win one, lose one. I think we win here. I think we let Hilton Magic's real. I don't think we be. I don't think we win there. So there's yeah. one. K State. I think we. I think we can beat them both times. I think we win both. So there's three. Texas. Win one, lose one. I think. Well, I think we'll beat them in Stillwater. That's the Saturday the 13th. So students get back early. Yeah. And go to the game. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm driving back on Friday that Friday so that I can be back for that game. I think we can beat them there. Uh, Baylor. I think we lose both. Uh. I think we win one in Stillwater. Baylor hasn't impressed me yet this year. So, yeah, so we got roughly four wins right now. Um, Texas Tech. Win in Stillwater. Yep. So, what, do we got five now? Yep. TCU. Lose both. Yep. KU. Win in Stillwater. Because <laughs> we always find a way to. Yep. So, we got about six wins. Six, seven wins there. And that's grant. That's a win against KU and a win against Tech. Just saying, you're going to do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, KU. I mean, it's the last game of the year again, and yeah. we played them pretty well last year. We just couldn't hit shots down the stretch. 
and I think this team is better defensively, obviously way better defensively than they were last year. So we'll see. I think, I think KU, I've watched them play a ton just because I live here, and they're so up and down. Yeah. I just, if if, if Graham and Mikhailuk are off, we win that game by 15. Yeah. So does, does KU's... It's very predicated on how well they're shooting from outside. So do you if think we're... knocks down four of his first five... We're in for a long day. Yeah. Do you think we're four, four to six range, probably? I, I think at the most, I think, I think six is realistic. Lofty tells me we can get to eight. Ooh, eight wins, Mike wins coach of the year in the Big Twelve. Something tells me I think we could beat TCU. I don't know what it is. I haven't watched TCU. So much. <laughs> That's wise, because you think it's you just have the you know it's hard to get that out of your head that it's just TCU because they've been so bad in Big Twelve. These dudes are real. They, I, I think they are too. I, like I said, I think I think six is probably going to be it. I feel like we're going to sneak up on one of these teams though, like a Baylor and OU, a TCU, KU. I think we're going to sneak up and take one. I don't know. When it will be, I don't know who it will be, but I think we're going to win a few games we should. Yeah, I mean, I think we should beat we should beat Iowa State. We should beat Texas at least once. Should beat K State both times. But I think we're going to sneak up on a team like a TCU. I don't think we'll beat them in Fort Worth, but I think we could beat them in Stillwater. I think we could sneak up on. I mean, obviously, we always play KU well at home. Yeah. You know, West Virginia going to Morgantown. We did it last year. That's an 11 a.m. game, so they. You know they don't have a lot of time to drink some moonshine there and go to the game. So yeah. I, I think that could be a, that could be a that's a winnable game there and uh, that's on a Saturday in Morgantown in February. Texas Tech, I think they're good. I think they got some dudes, but I think we match up pretty well with them. So I think that could be another winnable game or two. So we'll see. Um, I, I think th- this is going to be a really interesting year. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I, I'm going to give them six wins and. I think they get in with six wins. Yeah, I think if they, they got to win a couple games in the Big 12 tournament, too. And so that would put them right. So I think I would go, I'm going to go six wins and one win in the Big 12 tournament. And that could put us in at probably a 10 or 11 seed, I think. And that puts you at 17 and 14 on the year, which is, because I'm going to give them one win in the Big 12 tournament, which is tough. But when you look at it. Okay. If you go 17 and 14 on the year and you're on the bubble and there cuz you've already escaped the bad losses stage. Okay, let's go it would be 17 and 15 cuz that game at Arkansas is going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, that that one will be tough. But that's a big big game for a tournament resume because if, if you, you can because they're going to be they're going to be a top 3 team in the SEC. So you win that one, go eighteen fourteen. That puts you probably an eleven seed. Yeah, 11 yeah, you're in because and you have a sneaky good team going into the tournament. Yeah, and you have no bad losses, and that is what's important. Because I, I don't think you can, can consider any loss in the Big Twelve a bad loss. No, and, and if you lose to Kansas State in Stillwater or Iowa State in Stillwater, maybe, but that's it. And exactly. And so I think six wins gets you in. I think OSU wins six games, gets in the tournament. If they win eight games, Mike Boynton's going to win Coach of the Year. And and um, Mike Holder's going to be in another situation where it's, do you give him a raise? What do you do? You, he just won Big 12 Coach of the Year. Yeah. Uh, you got to uh, keep him. I, I really hope he doesn't 
try. Because to me, for him, it doesn't seem like it's about the money. It doesn't at all. It seems like he is genuinely invested in this university, but not because he has any connections or anything like that. We heard that forever with Underwood. Oh, well, he has IBA connections because he played for a coach that, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he really doesn't. He's just here because we gave him money, and it's a stepping stone. But Mike Boynton, this, we're the, you know, we offered him this job that there was no way he thought he was going to get. Yep. No way. And we said, you know what, we trust you, you're in. And so yep. I think that he's going to be as loyal to this program as we are to him. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've had a few conversations with him, you know, just like when they did the uh, like the 2K in the student union. Um, he was walking around, he and Coach Littell, the women's basketball coach, they were walking around, they were talking to students, you know, just like, you know, just, you know, introducing themselves and getting to know us. And he just seems more genuine and like a genuinely good human being and yeah. not just a basketball coach. And he seems to invest in the university and in the students and all of us and not just as go to the basketball games just as people yeah i feel that too yeah and i mean i i want to get to know him more and i I want to be able to uh i want to be able to you know know okay we got a guy that's gonna be here for the next 15 years and he seems like a guy that could be here for 15 years yeah and and for how much backlash the hire got it's astounding how fast people said i like this i like this guy I initially, you know, had some backlash with it, but it wasn't even awful. It was just like, it was kind of, it was more shocking than anything. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't mad. Right. Because obviously he showed something to hire from within. Um, but to me, the biggest thing when I officially bought into Mike Boynton was two two things in the Wichita State game. It was there was a loose ball at the middle of the first half. And I watched Mitchell Solomon, Lindy Waters, and Cameron McGriff all go to dive on it. And that's not something you see in college basketball very often. Yeah. And I went, they have bought into this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy has the things going right. Because you that's just something that I love. I love good defense, and that's what I see with this team. And then the second one was the, you know, because he's not a real vocal guy on the floor. You yeah. Know, as a coach, he's very much sit down, let them play. And then talk coach when he needs to, but he's not a, a bulldog like Brad Underwood was. But there was the, I don't know if you remember it, but it was the call in the like middle of the second half, and it was Cameron McGriff's fourth foul. And he, two Wichita State guys went up for a rebound. And they and ran they into each other. other. Yeah. And they called the foul on McGriff, who was an arm's length away. I watched Mike Boynton absolutely lose his mind. Jacket was off, and he's going. And I went, there it is. That's what I needed to see. Yeah. And I, from then, I've been like, okay, this, I, I'm all for it. I'm all in on this guy. Yeah, I, I, I love him. I think that he's very, he gives off a very approachable vibe, you know. Yes. And his Twitter is great. He does a great job with that, giving the fan, you know, he's that's what makes him seem just like one of us. You know, he posts his struggles on there. He posts you know, a lot about the team. And it's not just, hey, we're come do this. I'm tweeting for recruits. You know, it's like, hey, like he runs his Twitter like every college kid would. And and it's really entertaining. And I, I, love, I love watching him coach. And, you know, I'm glad he's with us. I hope he stays with us for a long time. Um, I'm excited to see him, you know, get on the recruiting trail, see what he can bring in uh, with his first full year of that. But you know, I think, okay, last thing to touch on in the Big 12, two things. 
Is this the year Kansas gets dethroned? It could be. Um, from what I've watched with them, obviously having a guy like Udoka Hazabuke is helpful when you have a seven-footer, you know, that can just, you know, really good, pretty good rim protector, good offensive player. But he just gets in so much foul trouble that he can't stay on the floor. And they have no other front court depth with them. Um, their next guy is Mitchell Lightfoot, who is a poor man's Mitchell Solomon. If that tells you anything about that guy, <laughs> um, he they they it's like I said, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, their offense is very predicated on their outside shooting. And if Devonte Graham, McCulloch, Malik Newman are off, even LeGerald Vick, if they, you know, if they're not hitting their shots, then their offense they have none. They they have no offense at all because they don't have a guy that can just go and drive it and get you a bucket or throw it to the big guy underneath because he's on the bench. So it's very much predicated on their outside shooting. And I think that's just too much for them this year. I think this very well could be the year that they go down. Who does it? Oh, I think it could be TCU. I think so, too. I think I think it's OU. I think that OU looks solid from top to bottom. I think they get lazy on defense sometimes. But I don't think they're going to get lazy on defense when they're playing defense in Allen Fieldhouse. No, no. I think Trey Young is going to give KU fans a show when he goes there. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because like when he was picking, wasn't it? Was it Kansas, Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma? Right. Yep. Yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna have a show for them there, and probably a show for us too. Oh yeah, we're we're gonna see what could have been, and it's gonna hurt. Yeah. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for uh, this episode of the Bush League podcast. First off, fan or last thing, fans, please remember that Brad Underwood started 0-6 in conference play last year. So whatever happens this year, just keep that in mind. He started 0-6 in conference play. So if your hopes are high right now, don't let them get down too far because there's still a chance that this team could be good and that this is the right hire. Yep, that was that was not fun. All right, well, uh, let's hope everybody enjoys the Camping World Bowl tomorrow and then West Virginia game Friday, and we'll be back next week to talk a little college football playoff, see what happened there, and then maybe a little uh, OU preview if we do this thing on Tuesday or an OU recap if we do this thing on Thursday. Uh, so for uh, Joel Penfield, this is Trey Cobb, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one, everybody.